0: So, gracious God, how we praise you today and lift you up in this house. We pray for Paul before he preaches today, God, that you would use this man in mighty ways to reach us and to touch us uh, with the words that you would have him to say. Give him courage, give him wisdom, give him humility as he rightly divides your word, Father, that we might understand you better and love you more. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Bill. So, Romans chapter... 10 is the part where i got to kind of set you up. We're going through this, we're, we're kind of taking underneath the microscope every bit of the Apostles' Creed. So work with me up to it. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, and so we get to Lord, and so we're, we want to take these parts and come to it, and not just jump over it, because Lord is a very Christian thing to say, and uh, maybe we have Christianized it so much that we couldn't necessarily explain it. But when we look at the text, start with verse 4, and verse 4 actually says, for Christ has accomplished the whole purpose of the law. All who believe in him are met with God requires obedience to all its, of its commands. But the way of getting right with God through faith says, you don't need to go up to heaven, to find Christ and bring him down to help you. And it says, you don't need to go to the place of the dead to bring Christ back to life again. Salvation that comes from trusting Christ, which is the message we preach, is already within easy reach. In fact, the scriptures say the message is close at hand. It is on your lips and in your heart. For if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by confessing with your mouth that you are saved. As the scriptures tell us, anyone who believes in him will not be disappointed. Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. They all have the same Lord who generously gives his riches to all who ask for them. For anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone goes to tell them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures, that, is, that is what the scriptures mean when they say, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Now, I wanna tell you something about when I grew up. We took road trips in my car. We didn't have car seats. We just played on the floor. We played on the dash. We played on the hood. We played on the roof of the car. 55 miles an hour, whatever. But when I was growing up, I'm gonna tell you what my family did not do. We did not stop anywhere. You have not eaten for the last 12 hours and you're passing by McDonald's and the golden arches are shining and you go, can we stop at McDonald's? And you hear this, no. You've got an old banana and some granola in the back seat. You know, and it just, we don't stop anywhere. And, you know, you're begging and pleading. like, I don't want to eat that. You know, like, no, we're not stopping it. And then, of course, we would have to stop for gas because we had a Dodge Dart. I think it got like four miles to the gallon on a good day uh, with the wind. Um, And so we're stopping to get gas. And, you know, you can see just the blue glow of the slushy machine in the gas station. And you're like, can we go inside and get a slushy? No, drink the hot orange juice in the thermos. And so I was, on the phone and I was like, why can't, why don't we ever stop anyway? Why don't we ever stop? And my dad says, when you're in charge, you can stop wherever you want to. Well, here at 46 years old, we stop wherever we want to now. I'm going in, I'm like coming out, you know, and candy bars are like $8 at a gas station, but you buy four of them or whatever like that. And I'm just like, my girls are never gonna have to just, wow, you here, you have this and the slushy for you and whatever like that. It's, why? Because I'm in charge now. I'm in charge now. I'm like, we'll stop where you want to. You wanna stop here? You wanna go across the street? Chick fil A not good enough? Okay. But when we talk about this word Lord, we talk about the word Lord, and I try to explain Lord, you, you kind of have to kind of get out because it's, it's one of these words that we don't use a lot in our languages apart from at church. And so when I talk to kids at Vacation Bible School and say, and we talk about the Scripture and I say, Jesus is Lord, I have to basically do this, and I, and I have concentric circles. And so I'm like, well, is Jesus in charge of you? Okay. Well, is Jesus in charge of everybody in this room? Okay. Well, is Jesus in charge of everybody here at this church? Okay, well, is Jesus in charge of everyone in Hickory? Oh, well, is Jesus in charge of everyone in North Carolina? And you get is Jesus then in charge of everyone in the United States? Is Jesus in charge of the world? And then now all of a sudden, we start getting into the neighborhood of where Jesus is. Is Jesus in charge of the entire universe? Is there nowhere that Jesus is not in charge? And you get this idea of he is the one who is over all everything, Is over everything. And so this word Lord is so significant, but we say it so quickly we don't necessarily grasp it. But he's in charge over all everything. And the place where you and I don't grasp this all quite so much is, and I made up this term when I was studying, so it's probably not a real term, but Paul saying Jesus is Lord is amazing because Paul is a super Jew. He is a super Jew. Paul even says in Philippians 3, he's like, no one's as Jewish as me. Y'all don't even know about my Jewish pedigree. I did this, I did this, I studied with this, I studied with this, I studied with this, I studied with this, and if we know about Paul in the book of Acts, we know how committed to Judaism he was, and what is the one phrase of Judaism that unites and bonds everyone together? Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. It should make us stand on our heads to think about the absolute transformation that has taken place in someone for someone who all their life proudly and even killed people who wouldn't agree with hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, to now say Jesus is Lord. The totality of Yahweh is found in Jesus. What an earth-shaking thing. And this is one of the things apologists talk about when they say, well, what's, what's the proof for Christianity? And you want to say, the person who was the most super Jew in the entire world turned all that whole thing upside down and went the exact opposite direction and said, no, 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 Jesus is Lord. The totality of God is found in Christ. And so we throw this term around, but we've got to come back to it and grab it because it will change the way we not only read the Bible, but the way that we think about the cross. So if we go to the text, Start with verse 4. I want to talk about this because it says this, Christ is the fulfillment of the law, or Christ is the termination of the law, or Christ is the end of the law, there it says in verse 4. And so much of us, we hate the law as Christians. We hate the law. We hate the Old Testament. We hate all those things. We never go to Leviticus for like our quiet time before bed. But I'm telling you, it is so important because those books, if we go to the Pentateuch, And we look at the first five books of the Bible. God's law was designed to do three things. Number one, God's law was designed to set his people apart from anyone else in the world. They're going to look different, talk different, act different, dress different, eat different. Why? Because they belong to God. He is the one and only God. And you had better believe that he has the right to say, my people, because they belong to me, are going to look like no one else. Come on, for Pete's sakes, when two football teams play each other, they don't have the same uniform, we get what it's like to dress and look and act a certain way because you belong to someone else. So the first part of God's law is to set his people apart. The second part of God's laws, and these are all these laws, and you're like, I don't understand that, I don't understand this law, I don't understand this law about not eating this, not eating that, and you have to be the clean of this, and you have to be clean from that, and all these kind of things. The second part is, he's trying to get them to understand, I want to have a relationship with you, but I am of the utmost holiness, and you are not. So we're going to have some laws so that an unholy people can come into the presence of a holy God, and have worship, and have communion, and offer sacrifices, and sing songs, and read scripture. And the third part of God's law that he has is for people to be able to have right relationships and true relationships with one another, and we would call this the moral law, right? Don't kill, don't steal, don't lie, don't take your neighbors this or that, don't covet this. Those three things, separate God's people from everybody else in the world, two, set them apart so that they can become holy and come into worship with him, and three, have right relationships with one another. Do you understand that Christ did all three of those things? Christ is the one now who has, we are set apart now not in the things that we do, but we are set apart now because we're in Christ. He fulfilled that part of the law. Christ is the reason we get to come into God's holy presence now. He fulfilled that part of the law. We don't have to go through all these different rituals. Christ did that. And Christ now is the one that enables us to have true and loving relationships, not only with God, but with one another. So when we say Christ fulfilled the law, that's absolutely what he did. He fulfilled the set apartness, he fulfilled the holiness, and he fulfilled the morality, and he completed it. It's not unimportant. He just completed it. He completed it. And so, you and I, I know that we hate to look at those things in the Old Testament. We're like, oh, it's so boring. But it points to Christ and what he did. So, in verse 5, verse 5 is actually the same thing that Jesus says to the rich young ruler when he asked him, What must I do? You obey all the laws. Except for there is an absolute understanding in this where the rich young ruler, then he says, Jesus puts a caveat on it and says, well, go sell all your stuff. And he says, well, I can't. And then he realizes that he cannot and is not able to obey all the laws. The laws just point out our sinfulness. In verses 6 through 8, then, Paul says, so let's talk about then how we can become righteous. How we can be, is it some journey we have to take or is it instead a journey that Christ has taken? So we look at 6, 7, and 8, and they just simply are this. He says, now listen, Christ has already come. Jesus has already come. You don't have to go get him. He's already come. He's already become incarnate. He's already lived here on earth. Verse 7, he has already been raised to newness of life. You don't have to go down to the depths of the grave. Christ has already gone there, and he's already been raised to newness of life. And then finally, in verse 8, it says, you know, because listen, you know what then that happens is? Out of your lips. With your lips and heart, it is from the true understanding of this truth that your lips confess this saving truth that Jesus is Lord. And so we get to verse 9, and verse 9 is this verse that you and I need to know. For if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he's raised from the dead, then you will be saved. Verse 9 is simply saying, when you confess with your lips, that is coming from a place where life-giving, resurrecting faith has taken place in your heart. And you have no choice but to just say it. You know, it's like drinking a giant gulp of soda. A burp's gonna come out because what? It was down in there, it's coming out. Well, now, if the truth that Jesus is Lord is down in there, you're gonna profess it and it's gonna come out of your lips. It's it's a both and. It's 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 also, and then in verse 10, he says, just like, just like if you believe, you confess. At the same time, if you are justified by Christ, then automatically you're saved by Christ, is what 1010 10 says. If you're justified by Christ, well then you're saved by him. It's it's a if-then. And so in verses 12 and 13 actually go back to the beginning of the book, and they contrast 322 in Romans. Because 322 in Romans talks about the fact of the universality of our sinfulness. But I love that 12 and 13 talk about there is no, there is no exclusivity in whose salvation is available to. Salvation is available to all salvation is available to all doesn't matter your skin color doesn't matter your ethnicity doesn't matter what family you're born into which is amazing because the jewish people would have said and this is what happens in romans the beginning of romans 10 and romans 9 they simply were sitting there going hey you know what i got it fine i was born into this i'm good to go and he said and that's not how it works anymore it's through christ through jesus as lord through jesus as lord and he quotes joel two thirty two. He quotes Joel 32, no one who calls upon the name of the Lord will be put to shame. Or anyone that calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And then we wrap it up, and, and then it's kind of like this part where if you know this, then what are you going to do with it? So verses 14 and 15 are, if you know this, because salvation is not inclusive, anymore because it's, I mean, because it's not, not exclusive. You can, anybody can be included. And because it's here, we don't have to go up to heaven or down to the depths of depths of the earth, but because it's come through Christ, then we go and we take it out. And so he quotes then from Isaiah 52, seven, which that quote is how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. And then the next part is that our God reigns. But notice that Paul says, how beautiful are those whose feet who brings good news that Jesus is Lord that Jesus is Lord. And so let's talk about Jesus is Lord, and I've just got two points to you. But when I say that something is transcendent, so this I know is is a word that we don't use all the time, but if something is transcendent, that means it matters not the place, time, or space where you say it, it's true wherever you go. A transcendent phrase, and it's just a simple phrase, two plus two is a transcendent phrase, two plus two equals four, transcendent phrase, no matter where you are. Jesus is Lord is a transcendent phrase, it is a transcendent phrase and it is a transcendent truth. And so when you, got, when you go to it and you quote again Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth, this is Paul saying this again, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he's been raised from the dead, you will be saved. And we've got to come back and we've got to say this again. Super Jew, Paul, is saying the complete and totality of who Yahweh is is in Jesus now, I, wanna, I want you to just look at Paul's pedigree again real quick here about who he's saying. this. Maybe this is just interesting for me, but I don't think so. And this is what Paul talks about where he had confidence, where he used to have confidence. Philippians 3, starting with verse 4. I could have confidence in myself if anyone could have confidence in themselves. If others have reason for confidence in their efforts, well, let me tell you about mine. I have more. For I was circumcised when I was eight days old, having been born into a pure-blooded Jewish family. He was not a muggle that is the branch of the tribe of Benjamin. So I, And then he says this about himself. So I am a real Jew if there ever was one. It's like he's like flashing his street cred. What's more, I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law and zealous? Yes, in fact, I harshly persecuted the church and I obeyed the Jewish law so carefully that I was never accused of any fault. I once thought all these things were so very important, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Did you hear that? Did you hear that? I used to think, and I put all my stock in what I did according to the Jewish faith, but now I know that it is all worthless because Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. And and the reason that Jesus is Lord is a statement of transcendent is because I want to speak to you all here that grew up in the church. Because how many of you all think, and and I said a little bit about this last week, but I'm going to carry on chapter two this week. How many of you think that basically the Old Testament is how God used to be and Jesus is now how God is? I don't know about y'all, but that's, who I grew, that's how I grew up. I had these wonderful, sweet stories about Jonah and the whale, and Adam and Eve, and Daniel and the lion's den, and what David did, and Solomon, and maybe we're a little bit of Jeremiah's just crying about something over here, and then, you know, we've got, we've got some, you know, Esther's doing something every once in a while, and Deborah's doing something, and she's just great, and God kind of comes in every once in a while and kills a bunch of people, or feeds some people, or whatever like that, and we're like, we don't really know him, and he's telling everybody, like, don't eat this, and don't wear that, and don't do this and if you did this you're unclean and we're kind of like i don't even know who the heck that is and then jesus comes in and we're like oh, all right yeah now, now it's getting real now it's getting real now i i can get it i get it The old testament stuff i know that we have to have and it keeps the precious moments people at lifeway you know whatever they can make and all this kind of stuff that's great and casting crowns and whatever like that but you know what we have completely misinterpreted isaiah 43 19 and you're like whoa why are we bringing isaiah into this because Isaiah 43.19 is talking about the coming of Christ. And Isaiah 43.19 says this I am about to do a new thing. But you know what we secretly have interpreted in our hearts that verse means? I am about to become a new thing. That is not true. The God of the Old Testament, if we use that terminology, is Jesus. Jesus is Lord is a transcendent statement. That means at the moment of creation, Jesus was Lord. That means at the moment David was on the throne, Jesus was Lord. That means for 700 years where no one spoke between the prophets and the coming of Jesus, Jesus was Lord. That means when they were handing out all of the teachings about you can't wear this and you can't do this and you're unclean if this and you can't eat this and you can't associate with those people, Jesus was Lord and was giving out those commandments through himself. It's not like all of a sudden God was mean and now all of a sudden he's nice in Jesus. Jesus is Lord is a transcendent statement. And so when we divorce Jesus from the Old Testament, when we divorce Jesus from the Old Testament, we try to do it, and Christians try to do it now to make Jesus seem more palatable. It's happening in huge churches right now, and actually I'm glad that there's been some pushback. But they try to divorce Jesus from the Old Testament. And I'm like, well, that well that was how it was now. But Jesus and Jesus said this, and Jesus said that, and he's nice. You want to make him, you're trying to make him more palatable and you're trying to make him more relatable, but actually you're making him less powerful. You're making him less powerful. So when we as Christians fail to pour through all those purity laws, when we fail to pour through all those ritual laws, when we fail to pour through all those times in the Old Testament where God literally obliterates people off the face of the earth, we fail to grasp the significance of the title and the phrase and the truth that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. And here's why Jesus is Lord gained so much power when you don't divorce him from the Old Testament. Number one, that God would make himself so insignificant in Christ. Again, God spoke for John 1 tells us what? All of creation came through and by and for Christ. So when God spoke, everything happens. And that God who can hold the universe in the palm of his hand became a tiny thing on a speck of blue dust in the world. And so when you say Jesus is Lord, you go, Jesus is Lord and his power is incredible. Second thing is when you say Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is Lord... And I love to go look in those places in Revelation where we, in in Isaiah, where you get this peek into the throne room and God is up on the throne and we know that since God is three in one, that God the Father, the Spirit, and the Son are all one in perfect communion and harmony all the time, that Jesus is on the throne and night and day, all day long, they are receiving worship and glory and praise all the time, not because they need it, but because they deserve it. And he says, nope, Philippians chapter two tells us what? leaves it all behind, and comes down to earth, where people not only do not know him, but he spends his life taking care of his widowed mom, his own brothers and sisters reject him, and he ends up being on a cross where people say, crucify him, you saved others, why can't you save yourself? And you want to talk about humility? And at the end of that, you go, Jesus is Lord. Lord of all humility. Lord of all power, and finally, That a holy God that demands obedience would give himself so that sinners could come and have a relationship with him. If you just divorce the whole Old Testament and you're like, I don't care about all of these laws that really we could stack from here to the ceiling, all of them were a demand that people would do so that they could come into contact with God or have any kind of relationship with him and you think, in Christ, you know what? fulfills all of them. Not for people who did it, and they were like, good, we conquered the law, and everybody can, but for people who never could and never really even tried. And at the end of that, you go, Jesus is Lord. All of that stuff, he fulfilled. Why? So that he could glorify the Father and have us. And so I wanna say this to you one more time. Jesus Christ is the God of the Old Testament. He always has been, And God in Christ is doing a new thing, but God in Christ is not becoming a new thing. And this is the second and last thing. Jesus the Lord brings true weight and gravity to Christ crucified. Jesus as Lord brings true weight and gravity to Christ crucified. It's a true story. Queen Victoria... Remember, she's the queen that never smiled in any of her pictures, and there's this this thing about her PBS right now. I think she's got her own show. She walked out of a, you know, the Church of England, she walked out of their service one afternoon, and all the press was there, and she walked up to the rector who had given the message that day. This is true, you can Google it, you can look it up. She walked out, and she said, well then, dear sir, do we have any security of our salvation And the rector, who obviously did not know very much, looked at her and sadly kind of shook his head and said, no, ma'am, none that I know of. The press was there. They actually were there. They recorded the conversation. And then, of course, as the papers go, and this is, you know, obviously a long time ago, but the papers start getting out. And the papers made their way to where there was a pastor and we don't know anything about him other than the fact that his name was John Townsend. And John Townsend read this and went back to his church and said, oh no, the depths of our unbiblical knowledge are greater than we'd ever imagined. And they literally wept over the queen. They wept, they cried, they wept. The deacons got together, the people in the church got together, the church got together, they prayed for her. And then with the church's insistence, John said humbly, I'm gonna write a letter to the queen. So John Townsend writes a letter to the Queen. He says, "Dear Queen, I'm your humble servant, John Townsend, and I heard about your encounter. I'm not. I'm just paraphrasing this, but but in all humility, I would simply ask that you look up John three sixteen and Romans ten nine. For I tell you now, we all have security of salvation in the man Jesus Christ, who is Lord in His crucifixion and in His resurrection." Sent the letter off. Didn't hear anything. Didn't hear anything. Didn't hear anything, didn't hear anything. One day John, John Townsend walks out and there's a letter waiting for him, royal crest on it, and he opens it up and she says, dearest Reverend Townsend, thank you so much for opening my eyes that Jesus is Lord, that I can have full confidence and assurance of my salvation, not because of anything that I have done, but because what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. Fondly, Victoria, Do you know why that is? Why would we doubt our assurance of salvation? Why would we doubt somehow that when we put our faith in Christ that that's not enough? You know why we would doubt that? We doubt that because if we think Jesus is just God's son. Now, is Jesus God's son? But you know the difference between saying Jesus is Lord and, well, Jesus is the son of God. Right? You're implying this lesser than. You're implying this not quite that great. Or if you say, you know, yes, Jesus, yes, God is God, but Jesus was the sacrifice, and he's just a sacrifice. Well, I mean, I'm not really sure if I'm, he, Jesus was a sacrifice, but I'm not really sure. Or we just even think, you know, we're even like, well, Jesus of Nazareth. And I, know, I know, I get it. He was God that walked along the earth, but, but... I'm just not really sure, then you know what? If you think Jesus is just the Son of God, or Jesus was just the sacrifice, or Jesus was just Jesus of Nazareth, then guess what? The cross is a brutal, great story. It's a brutal but great story, and it's kind of nice, and it's the story of tragedy and triumph, but it is not the thing that changes your entire life. But if Jesus is Lord, but if Jesus is Lord, if Jesus is Lord, and you stop and you just go, wait, wait, wait. You mean the one who created everything? He's the one hanging up there? You mean the one whom reams of laws were written about, about just being able to come into his presence? He's the one on the cross? You mean the one who parted the Red Sea? You mean the one that obliterated Sodom and Gomorrah? He's the one that's up there? Do you mean the one who sustains all creation? Do you mean the one who's like actually out there with the quasar, making sure it's on beat with his personal thing? The one who's down there in the depths with the whales feeding them and doing whatever they're doing. The one that's up there making sure that the moons aren't running into each other on their orbit. He's the one who's on the cross. The one who raises people from the dead. He's the one on the cross. He is the one on the cross. And so when you say Jesus is Lord and you go, and he went to the cross for me. You and I can never doubt the power of the gospel. Because it wasn't just someone, it wasn't just some sacrifice, it wasn't just some teacher, it was the Lord, the totality of God Almighty in Jesus Christ on the cross. And you wonder if that was sufficient to save yours and my sins. Friend, when we, when we say this overly more than sufficient, that is the biggest understatement ever. For he who has accomplished infinitely more than we could ever dream or desire. Why? Because it wasn't just somebody on the cross. It wasn't just God becoming a new thing. It wasn't just this new version of God. It was the Lord on the cross. Because Jesus is Lord. So when you confess that Jesus is Lord, the totality of God found in him, we rejoice and we say, come We've got incredible news. You don't have to go up to heaven for it. You don't have to go down to the depths of the earth because Jesus, the one who is God in total, has come. And he will bring life-changing faith to your heart that you will profess with your mouth, and you too will have salvation. If you've only said Jesus is Lord in the context of saying, Lord, have mercy because something tasted really good, I just want to give you the opportunity this morning... To say in your own life, no, 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 I know that he's Lord. I want him to be Lord here. Because he's also a gentleman. As much as we wish he would kick down the door to our hearts, he's a gentleman. What does it say in in Revelation? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any of you, I went all King James on you. "If, If any would let me in, I would come in and have fellowship with them. And listen, he stands at the door and knocks. I'm Lord everywhere, Will you submit and let me be Lord of your life? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come before you and we we admit that we just want to skip to the parts that are easy for us. But Lord, those are the parts that show us how much bigger you are than we ever possibly imagined. And we should be uncomfortable, Lord God, that someone so holy, so divine, so pure would pursue us. God, it is a reason why you are called the Lion of Judah, that we would have a holy fear that you are stalking us to love us, to show us mercy, God, that you visited your wrath and your fierceness upon your Son, Jesus the Lord, and Lord, that we would never think that a sacrifice great enough was not given for our sins because the Lord was crucified for our sins. So Lord, if there is any here today, I pray that they would just ask you to come be Lord of their life, to confess their sin to you, knowing that you are right there at the door ready to come in. And so we just wait in quiet for you and your Holy Spirit to work.